0: Hello, I'm Johanna Randall, Stations Advisor, podcaster, and aspiring innovator.
1: And I'm Leanne Henderson, transport planner, and chair of the Rail Innovation Group.
0: And today, we are in Brighton, or more specifically, Ovingdean at Blind Veterans UK and you might wonder why we're here today.
1: I think our listeners will be curious why we're here today.
0: (laughs) It's because they have been involved in a project to test an autonomous vehicle for the use of people with visual impairments. um, Blind Veterans UK was founded by Sir Arthur Pearson um, as an organisation that supported um, those who were blinded in in the first world war um in 1915 and they have been um they have been involved in the rehabilitation of servicemen ever since and more specifically at their site in Ovingdean, where they provide training and activities that and convalescent opportunities for blind veterans i think you've you've got some statistics for us i do have some statistics about um because i think actually before we go on to statistics um, let's just sort of like talk a little, just for a couple of seconds about our own views about autonomy and where we think it's going because I think we've had a previous discussion about this, I am firmly in the it's brilliant and it's going to happen camp and you are?
1: In the the dubious well as a cyclist I'm a cyclist so I I, autonomy on on the road I, I struggle to see it happen
0: so, and why do you struggle?
1: Because having cycled following you from Brighton Station to here, I I certainly couldn't pre- predict and judge what you were going to do and I don't um, think a autonomous vehicle is ever going to be able to cope with cyclists. I think autonomous vehicles will work in controlled spaces. I don't think on the open highway they can work <laughs> with full autonomy.
0: Well, see, I... Because I kind of take the other view to that, because I actually think that um, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen in my lifetime, and um, yeah, in the next. How long sort of have you got left? I don't know. When I, we were talking yesterday about climate change and um, 2050, and I was thinking, oh my god, I'm going to be 80 in 2050.
1: <laughs> Work that back from there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh and um yeah and actually i and that that's interesting itself being at blind veterans because at 80 it could be something that i could be interested in is autonomy and i don't um but i think one of the reasons why i think it's going to happen is because if you rewind yeah you know, 150 years you know went with the invention of the car Everybody was scared of the car, and we had you know, uh, an act in the in the UK called the Red Flag Act, where people, somebody used to walk in front of a, a combustion engine car um, with a red flag, you know, to, because people were scared of them. and And I think we're almost at that stage with autonomy in terms of you know generalized use is that people need to take a trust leap. And the reason why I say a trust leap is because as ever I always sort of like, you know, do a bit of reading in advance and and I've not read these books recently. Um, I read these last year and one of them was um, written by a very well-known academic. Um, She um, teaches at um, the Oxford Said Business School, um, a lady called Rachel Botsman. And she wrote a book called, Who Can You Trust? and then also um, a book um, about um, autonomy the quest to build the driverless car and how it will reshape our world by Lawrence Burns and he was the head of R&D at um, General Motors during the darker challenge and um, did a lot of work in autonomy he's been working with Waymo and everything that and there are two things that stand out from from both of these books for me one is the fact that all through our um, history, it requires us to to, to take a, a leap of faith, you know, to move from the cert, you know, move from uncertain truths to the certainty of what that gives us, and I think that's what happened with the car, and so as people realise that you can't, um, what's the point of having a car if you're going to make somebody walk in front of it, you're not getting the benefit of it. So, so then people started becoming more confident in the technology and they started making that leap of faith as they, be- as they became more aware, thinking I can trust this, I feel confident in it and I think that will happen with autonomy. And then I think the other thing, which is the same with the book by Lawrence Burns, is about the cost and the benefit to society. Because if you go back to, you know, you can look um, online at photos in New York in 1919, or even before then, before the invention of the um, Ford T motor car, was that cars were not affordable. So one, you had cars not affordable, and two, they had a huge problem with horse manure in New York. So they had to solve a problem to it, and car was the solution to that. And that's why I think that we will start making those trust leaps because we'll find the benefit of using them. We have a problem with the amount of cars on our road and the congestion they charge and what they do to the climate. And they've, in, in Lawrence Burns' book, he's done an estimation that it will be that there'll be an 85% saving in the amount of vehicles on our roads, so we can repurpose space in our cities but also the cost will just you know make it viable you know in the same way that the 4T did.
1: Okay I'm going to go back to your image uh, of 1919 on the roads in New York and when if you look at an oldie street uh, from the first photos, you can see a mixed use on the street. People selling stuff, people walking down the middle of the street, trams going down the middle of the street, horses going down the middle of the street, and the start of cars. Now cars can go much faster than everybody else, so they started hitting people and killing people. The, the car industry lobby at that point knew it had a problem, and so then lobbied to get road space designated as for cars only, vehicles only and all of those shared spaces disappeared. All of that societal space disappeared. Now the only, at the moment, well until say 10 years ago, only cyclists were allowed to share that space with motor cars. So we lost all of that space. Within about the last 10 years, we've been trying to fight for it back with shared spaces, and there's been a lot of conflict with regard to who has right of way. The issue with driverless cars, autonomous vehicles, is that for them to work how people will program them to work you need everything on that road space to be autonomous and to talk to each other so you're then having to exclude probably cyclists as well and you're just going back to the system where they have priority on the highways and in an urban area you what are you going to put all the guardrailing back up to stop people playing on the streets, playing on the side of the streets. I have to live on a play street. And legally, between the hours of sunrise and sunset, you're not allowed to park there, and you're not allowed to drive down it without a reason, and it's for children to play on. So there's many impacts of just driving towards autonomous, because I think it's a can of worms. We haven't haven't understood fully yet. We haven't even started talking about liability if they hit people. Who writes the code for if they hit people? And you mentioned emissions there's nothing to stop all the vehicles that you see down there on the street being electric
0: no no it's not, no.
1: It's not autonomy that's going to make that happen now i see there being levels of autonomy So sort of on the motorway you have already well we've had cruise control forever we probably will move to a, a level of, of autonomous vehicles but in an urban area and where where you're mixing different modes and bringing that chaos in humans have had million, well, however many hundred thousand years to work, predict what other humans will do.
0: But why do you think humans are better at it than machines?
1: Um, because someone has to write a code and stick with that code through the courts to say that when someone does that, this is the out- this is the outcome, and I don't think that you can ever write that. It depends on the time of day the mood? Can you see that they have had drinks? Is there a small child playing? Because I, mean, cause I think you're,
0: you're, um, one of your examples of it, your street being a play street, why does that need to change because you've got autonomy? It just becomes an area where an autonomous vehicle, the, the rule stays the same the autonomous vehicle just doesn't go down that street
1: but, but the autonomous vehicle may go down that street if it's dropping someone off or picking someone up but it
0: can't do that today. So why does it have to change in the future?
1: Because at the moment, sorry, at the moment, it is officially designated as a play street, and the only people allowed to drive on it legally are people going to a property on that street. Oh, I see. It's yeah. not a through road yeah. during sunset, sunrise,
0: and sunset. So, I mean, but someone like just sort of like keep you on that safety. I mean, I and I think um, what's. Um, I mean like from the book, from the Lawrence Burns book I mean like he says there are 1.3 million fatalities a year in the US which is significantly more than the UK I mean yeah. because UK is about 1700 but he reckons that autonomy will allow us to cut fatalities by 90% which is a huge number and he thinks that we will cut dependency on oil and will erase the challenges of parking because we'll be going to a different service model and it will allow us to reshape our cityscapes here you know, and you've already touched on that in the sense that you know the thoughts that we have to um think about you know do are we separating space can we bring back shared spaces because I just want to go back to the fact that um, in their calculations that they've done because we'll be going to different service models and we'll be more we will get mobility as a service and we won't have ownership he thinks that the number of cars just by going to shared autonomous hiring models yes will cut the number of cars on our, on the roads by 85%. So let's I mean, that is that is that, significant. Though. I mean, because if you think I mean, like where we're stood, where or where we're sat, um, along the coast, I mean, like the, the There's no, there's not huge traffic, but if you just sat here a couple of hours ago, it would have been traffic jammed along the coastal road because it's the only way you can get into Brighton along the coast, but-
1: On that, on that topic though- Most
0: of those cars wouldn't be there if we were autonomous. So could we have a better walking space, a better cycling space as a result of that being cut out? And you'd only need one lane, for example. Okay, but
1: you say that, but let's go back to congestion in London, for example, it's gone up recently. And at the moment, the perfect model for military service is Uber. Dial it on your phone, it comes, picks you up, takes you exactly where you want to go. The introduction of Uber has massively increased in the number of vehicles mm. on the streets of London yeah. and other cities around the country. So you're saying that when you bring in an even more convenient mode where you don't have to worry about parking in the city centre, There'll be less
0: cars? Well, you have to also take... It comes back to that leap as well, that trust leap again. But because as soon as you introduce
1: that convenience, nobody's going to take but, a bus in future because they can just get in their, but, their little pod.
0: But the Uber will have gone because the Uber will now become the autonomous vehicle.
1: Yes, but oh. and adding in, it and, will be cheaper because you don't have to pay for a driver. Why on earth would I but, ever take a bus or a train?
0: I think there's an... I mean, an I'm interesting just, I'm being yeah i know off. you are <laughs> i know and i think it's right that you are because these these are big things that have to be thought about but who says that buses will still be here in the future question mark i know people who because, need access to but opportunity but if you can provide autonomy cheaper than a bus because how much a bus is like um rail where um they're running around empty half the time i mean mean, it's because it's interesting we're in brighton as well because in brighton more people use buses than london every day and we've just seen a bus go past not not the coach but um one of uh, my my local bus the number 27 uh, which goes from brighton station right practically right outside my house you get you get on it in the morning or the evening and it's packed And it's just gone past here, top deck is virtually empty.
2: Yeah.
0: And that will be the same everywhere and that's, you know, and then when you take it out of urban areas, you know, like the big areas like London and also um, Brighton and big cities like Bristol and Manchester, um, bus services are being cut back on. And the thing about, you take the driver out of the equation and provide personal autonomy um, that provides more opportunities to provide, you know, people with transport options. Be- because It I does, think, so long as, you,
1: so long as the, the people who rely on currently a bus service are somehow subsidised mm-hmm. for this mobility. If it's a private but, operator, they won't be able to afford But the, the subsidy mobility.
0: isn't happening at the moment. And I think this will lead nicely into why we're particularly at the Blind Veterans, is because... Um, my husband and I, we've recently moved back to Brighton. We've been back in Brighton 18 months, and we lived in, uh, in Oakham before. Where uh, Johanna's Patisserie was. Where Johanna's Patisserie was. It has a poor train service. It only has an hourly train service that starts um, first train um, quarter past six in the morning, last train eight o'clock in the evening. So you're not going anywhere on that train unless you travel between those hours, which makes it virtually impossible to do anything in London that isn't between 9 and 5, because that's the only way to... And then if you then drill down to people that want to go to college or to school or to take hospital appointments in Leicester and that, they were cutting back bus services despite subsidies from the local authority. And because of government, current government cutbacks um they were cutting those services back because the local authority couldn't um afford to um to to subsidize the local bus services and this is happening all over the country you know where bus because they're just not economical so does this provide a new opportunity and the thing is is that people young people are no longer learning to drive. That's cut by. That's been reduced by 30%. But equally, the people that rely on local bus services are the elderly, the infirm, the people that can't that um, can't drive, um, people who are visually impaired. And these are quite significant statistics. And I think you've got those here, haven't you?
1: I do. I have from the NHS that two million people in the UK are visually impaired. Um, 360,000 are officially classed as blind. So those people wouldn't be allowed to drive their own car. Um, and then I thought what's another interesting statistic is that only 76% of households in England have access to a car or a van.
0: So that is 24% of people not having access to transport yeah. is quite a significant going statistic. going
1: to Deb about that in our
0: and
1: future podcast.
0: And so there are 24% of people that need access to some other form of transport. And that is probably um, money that should not be sniffed at in terms of opportunities for transport providers. Yes. Yeah, and we should be looking at. So now we're gonna go and have a go on the autonomous vehicle, I think. Yes, we're not
1: quite sure how it's going to work, but we're gonna try and do (laughs) some sort of podcast (laughs) recording whilst on uh, on the Arthur vehicle. Um, I'm not sure where it goes but there is warning signs around so let's take a pause there and jump on the vehicle. So we're now going to get on Arthur. Um, First of all is if you are visually impaired how do you get in?
0: Oh that's an interesting question how do you get how do you get in if you're visually impaired because it's a big, quite a big step up. And also
1: do you press press a button to open the door?
2: We
0: do yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay so press the button Press the
0: button. I'll a pretend a to press the button, shall we?
1: Does
2: it make a noise when you press it?
1: Oh there you go. Are oh you closed a, it now. I almost got <laughs> hit. <laughs>
0: we're
1: off to a good start, so let's press. Well it the again. door was
0: already open, but you told me to press the button. So <laughs> I was doing as I was
1: told.
2: Kidding. <laughs> right. So now we're in. <laughs>
1: okay, we're in, Arthur. And we're joining. And we have to put
0: seatbelts on? Yes, babe. Do we? Okay. So
1: we have a friend in the vehicle with us, <laughs> and his name is? Ricky. Ricky. He Hi looks Ricky. so pleased that we're recording this podcast. So
2: basically, i just got to read this um, short passage to you um, just about what's going to happen next, and then we go on a little journey, and then when we get back, we just ask you a few questions um, about your experience. Excellent, okay? okay. So this is Arthur. Arthur is an autonomous pod, and you'll be taking part in a research trial.
0: Perfect. I'm super excited about this. So, so,
2: we are.
1: You, so
0: you actually look as though you've got a Nintendo. Uh,
2: Xbox remote. Xbox
1: remote. God, yeah. Go with it. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, we're on. No, so. So, so here's, uh, Ricky is actually driving this with an Xbox uh, console. Oh. Okay. okay i'm just gonna reset so back to the guards. start line so i didn't right. change something before
2: we started oh is this because you um. messed up the door <laughs> <I don't know.
0: laughs> no oh well, it's a bit jerky isn't it I th- I,
1: I oh. don't, I've taken
2: it from oh right
1: okay so, so. We're, going, we're now going backwards via remote control
2: no i don't think so
1: Presumably, though, in a future situation, you'd have already pressed your destination rather than get in and expect to have to.
0: Is that that what would happen? I don't know. Is that what would happen? Is that you'd put your destination in and it would just automatically track it? In the
2: future, it's most likely going to work very similar to
1: an Uber app. Okay, so you'd have chosen in advance.
0: But this is just testing, isn't it? Because yeah, how so old are these vehicles now?
2: So they've been in development for a couple of years. Um, so this is pod number 15. 15. 15 yeah, and I is
0: thought. is this one of the original ones from the Transport Systems Catapult?
2: Yes. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. Okay. we developed in project. Milton Keynes. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. So same Same vehicle. Um, so obviously, it's been updated since then. Um, gradually, they, they implement new and new things. Um, obviously, now and again, things happen do go wrong, like, okay, in a free booty. No um, problem. But that's why their research and development vehicles are not fully fed fleet vehicles. Yeah. Okay, Right. so we're going on our little journey. Yeah. I've already read you your um, thingy, and we're being recorded.
1: So yeah. you're just, are you are you actively controlling this now? i just pressing and stop and go.
2: No, so I have what they call a dead man's handle. Um, so I just basically have to hold a button down to say um, that I'm concentrating. Yeah. Um, so, and I just have to keep an eye on, and make sure the vehicle is behaving
0: okay. how it should. So, I, I'd already mentioned as well that we do also have the equivalent of the red flag man in front of us, as well with his yellow vest on, <laughs> uh, making sure that as we go down the road, we're not um, getting in the way of any vehicles or people. But we are on the private site of the Blind Veterans UK site, so we're not actually going live onto a road. We're just within a in a private um, space. So, what, what speed are we travelling at at the moment?
2: Um, at somewhere around four or five miles an hour. So just above walking speed.
1: And is that what you imagine for the blind veterans?
2: Um, for this sort of area, because obviously it's an enclosed area, um, it's not masses of space you've got the vision visually impaired um, wandering around uh, and they don't always use the path they do like to walk up the road because there's steps on the path so sometimes it's easier for them to use the uh, the road to walk up um, and also we have uh, traffic that doesn't always stick to the five miles an hour speed limit um, so it's it's just best if it's more controlled in these sorts of areas and, and the speed is appropriate to the surroundings.
1: And from your time here have you noticed whether people move out of the way of the vehicle or the vehicle stops.
2: Um, There's a mixture. It it, obviously depends on, on what's happening at the time. Um, But sometimes um, the people wait for us and sometimes we wait for the people.
1: Okay. But presumably it won't hit somebody.
2: I would like to hope not ever (laughs) Um, because obviously that would be the end of, of the project and it would be the end of, um, most autonomous vehicles if something like that happens i mean uber, uber have been struggling since they had their incident so
0: but they use different technology don't they yes they do because yeah. what's the technology behind um behind this vehicle in terms of making sure that it stays out of the way of objects shall we say
2: uh, do you mean hazards more than yeah objects? hazards yeah so The easiest way to probably explain it is to, so we use a a mixture of different technologies uh, and we take proven technologies and then we apply them in a slightly new way. Um, So we've got a mixture of LiDARs, ultrasonics, GPS um, and stereoscopic cameras Um, and so we basically the pod uses that to build up a 3D world. and then when we go to a new area um, we give it we we would map the area using all those devices um and then we would give it rules of where it can and can't go and what it can do and then it plans its own routes and trajectories in in the conditions that we set
1: right and currently we're off-road it feels
0: like we're (laughs) off-road
1: we are off road we're actually on a field
2: <laughs> yeah. and it
0: felt like it as well so is he,
2: on this in this part of the track they they've put some um like grid netting down that they use for car parks or areas that they don't want to remove the the grass um, or you know they they want to use that land for the drainage as well yeah um so just a small area of that gridding because it spreads the weight it's like traffic gridding
1: which means that these can potentially go beyond just the highway network?
2: Um, actually, this is classed as off-highway because it's not a, a main road. It's, it's private land, so this is still off-highway, even though car park area is still off-highway. All our projects are currently off-highway.
1: But in a future situation, these can sort of go... Well, they don't need to be just where there's tarmac.
2: No. No. They, they, they could go on something like gridding, you wouldn't really want to go uh, off-roading in it. It's not built like a 4x4, four four,
0: <laughs> Now we are going incredibly slow. Oh, so what, So what is the top speed? of, so,
2: of these, these vehicles at the moment, um, their uh, potential is about 20 miles an hour, which is more than fast enough for this uh, first and last mile applications that we use these vehicles for or that they will be used for in the future so just small journeys that are very very repetitive like uh, airports or um, in city centres rather than having uh, congested roads you could have uh, a whale of pods as we're calling them um, transporting people around from um, like travel uh, connectivity centres like your railway stations or your bus stations etc. Sorry
1: just to clarify groups of these are now going to be called whales.
2: Whales
0: yeah. I love it. I know, who came up with that idea of whales of pods? <laughs> I, that is I great. I think
2: uh, a lot of people were just in the office one day and it kind of slipped out by someone and it's kind of stuck <laughs> at the moment. So
0: so is that that, so, so that is a new whale of pods. Yeah.
2: So we won't call them autonomous.
1: Or fleets. It'll be a whale, whales. Whales of pods. Whales of pods. <laughs> love it. And last question is how long does the battery for this last?
2: Um, so there's a couple of different battery <coughs> designs. Um, so the first one is uh, lead acid, that's what this is running on and it's a range of about 40 kilometres uh, depending on gradient, uh, 30 to 40 kilometres and then we've got lead acid, ba- uh, sorry the lithium batteries Um so one of the lithium batteries that um, we would put in this vehicle and it would have a total of three, holds the same charge as the six um, lead acid batteries are in it now, so you're tripling that so um, once, if you go over to lead acid you're looking at um, depending if you've got aircon and things like that. uh, Roughly 120 to 150 uh, kilometers. Which is perfectly good for Which is about the same range
0: as my electric bicycle. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Which you were nipping around on earlier. Okay, thank you very (laughs) much for having us. (laughs) That was
0: great fun. It was.
1: Good to experience. Thank you.
0: you. I'm still attached to you. You're still attached, come on, come (laughs) on. Get out, get out. So we've been been round on the vehicle and um, now we're going to be asked some questions about our experience of it um, by by the lead. Um, so, would you just like to introduce um, yourself to, um, to yourself and also to the research that you've been doing?
3: So, my name is Theo and I work for Blind Veterans UK. I'm an uh, innovations and translational scientist and I'm project managing ARTHUR, which is the autonomous vehicle trial that is taking place at our centre in Brighton and now we're gonna go through some questions for a survey that we we'll conduct at the end of the, the journey with every passenger.
0: Okay, that's great. Just before we go on to the survey, because we were just having a great chat, because you've, um, a little bit of a chat, because you've been um, doing this research project for a while and um, you were saying that um, you've had some good feedback already yes. from from the, the centre residents, so I'd like I to hear a little to, bit more about that.
3: The centre residents is the people that they have uh, been on the vehicle. Uh, we have had some initial data which we are not allowed to uh, share publicly, but we can say that the feedback is positive.
0: That's really great because we were having the de- Debate uh, earlier about you know, the use case of, of different types of autonomy because I'm very much in the pro and Liam is very much in the skeptical camp. <laughs> skeptical, not ruling it out, just skeptical.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How have you found sort of the interest in the whole project? From? Everybody, from anybody. Uh, like are so people excited they, to see the project. The project
3: was initiated because what the members were, were saying to what they miss the most. From when they were not visually impaired, yeah. is that they say that they were able to drive, and that's what made the whole project start.
1: Oh, okay, so it came from it wasn't it. it, it was inspired by people in yeah, the center. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it is responding to a need. It is perfect. It's Excellent. It's all
3: to do with the uh, independence and the social and welfare.
0: That's great. Thank you ever right, so much for, for letting us join you here today.
1: So Johanna, we're now back outside the centre. Um, we've been on our roller coaster ride um, and answer our survey questions. I thought the, one of the most interesting things that we found out from the, the little questionnaire there was that it was, this project was inspired by people at this centre who miss being able to drive It was particularly being able to drive, and so this is, I mean, it's not going to make up for the fact that they can't drive, but it is responding to a particular challenge identified.
0: But is the need, the not being able to drive, or the fact that they miss independence, because that's what driving gives you, isn't it is that it's the ability to be able to decide right okay i'm going out for the day or i'm just going to nip to the shops or i'm going to work it opens up a world of opportunities to which if you're reliant on public transport and timetables doesn't necessarily give you
1: uh yes but particularly being able to drive driving is also feeling in control you like to rev an engine you like to drive up hills or down hills and it's, it's more exciting. Sitting on that vehicle was in nowhere exciting, and you kept saying how slow it was. So I'm not it, sure whether it would give you the same feeling. It would give you the same output, the independence, but not the same sort of feeling of you on the open road.
0: I'd but think. it's an, it's interesting that human factor of why do we like cars? I mean, like, I mean, I don't know how many genuine petrol heads there are out there because I I learnt to drive in my mid 30s so i you know so 17 years of my adult life i didn't drive and that was because i lived in an urban area you know i didn't want to learn to drive because i'm not i'm not a petrol head you know so so i do come at it from a very different view and i wonder how many people actually genuinely really do like driving or actually they just like the independence of being able to drive and that's why i learned to drive because yeah i moved to an area where public transport wasn't so um, there wasn't so much of it so I'd moved from the south east London to the country yeah. and and there was again you know a news item this morning about how terrible transport is in the north of England you know we're talking we're talking conurbations around Manchester and stuff like that yeah. and it's that independence of being and it's and in some ways it's a basic human right just about being able to live your life you know about being able to go to college about being able to go to work and that's and the driving is the enabler yes it's not really what we want to do I, mean, I wonder truly when you drill down into people and their needs and that do they really want to drive or is it just the power and the in control and the independence it gives them
2: and
1: convenience
0: and convenience yes which yes. is that all that control and, that, and that's really what we want from cars yeah and i think i mean, and i know there are I mean, i've got friends who who love their cars i mean i've yeah i've got a neighbor i mean he has three cars yeah. yeah and and i only ever see him drive one but you know every sunday he brings the other two out and gives them a nice polish on that because he right. loves you know his sports cars yeah and going back to our analogy or my analogy you know with the Ford T in New York at the um, at um, you know a hundred years ago Mm -hmm. is that I wonder how much you know With as autonomy develops and as it becomes more affordable, and the use cases developed, and people realise that, or not even people realise, but the need is met, you know, for people like the visually impaired and the people who can no longer drive because of disabilities or epilepsy or whatever that is, is that. Cars will become a bit like horses where they become a sport and people do us as a hobby rather than being the way that we use, the main use for getting around. Okay. Or self-driving, or not, you know, cars that we drive ourselves become like that rather than self-driving cars.
1: Yes. I still have some thoughts about another of my uh, reservations about future in the future, ideal, I know I've said this on a previous podcast about mobility as a service. You have a, an autonomous vehicle that comes and picks you up. As we now know, they're called whales of pods, uh, will come and pick you up. Everyone I know who owns a car, half of the reason they seem to own a car is to cart around loads of stuff in the boot of the car or in the back seats. And I also wonder how people are going to adapt, or will they adapt? To not having all their stuff with them all the time because I, I obviously cycle and I take the train so I'm just used to having a backpack and a minimised amount of things but if you are, have young children you've got a load of shopping you've got spare things just in case you've got stuff that needs to go to the dump at some point when you get round to driving via the dump you've got a pushchair probably What? how do people are we expecting people to adapt that much that quickly I, to that?
0: Well, I think that illustrates, you know, how things, you know, how many things need to change in the, in if autonomy is to have an application. There are many ways in our lives that will need to change, but humans do adapt, don't they? You know, because you know, if you take um, taxis, for example, you know, um, taxis were required by law to carry hay with them. <laughs> and obviously that was to feed the horse. Right. But obviously we, you know, cars don't, you know, you know mechanised taxis don't need um, hay, so they no longer carry hay with them. And I think, you know, we get used to carrying stuff around of us, but I mean, I I, I come from a generation where it wasn't, um, not everybody in the streets had a car, that sort of like came in the 80s. And... Used, used, used to carry stuff, you know, but there'll be a whole new industry of other things that will happen. So, you know, when I was at at HS2, we did a thought piece on um, autonomous vehicles and some of the areas we were looking at was um, Japan for the Tokyo Olympics, and there has been something in the news about the, yeah. the electric vehicles they're going to be using. And what they have been looking at is a family of autonomy. So it's not just about the, um, the actual vehicle that you travel in, but also about the stuff that you will, you will also take with you as part of that autonomy. So, um, so for example, Um, They were looking at how would autonomous wheelchairs fit into autonomous vehicles. How would um, autonomous cases or carriers or whatever fit into autonomous... Trunky? Can I take my
1: Trunky on (laughs) it?
0: But there's no reason why in the future Trunky wouldn't be autonomous. I mean, they are already starting to develop. You asked me if autonomous... I felt safe on
1: that thing, I'm not sure i feel safe on an autonomous trunky whizzing <laughs> around. The I think we're a bit too big <laughs> for
0: trunkies though, aren't we? <laughs> no, not with the grown-up that's And I, mean. I think that's the thing, isn't it? We're still, we are still a long way off because today was very much still about a trial.
1: Yeah, it was a very extremely controlled trial. There was also, if you've noticed, and... that we have not encountered actually any of the target demographic for these vehicles
0: no no but i think the research is interesting and really that's how you get innovation by just keep testing keep developing the use cases keep keeping at those you know pushing those boundaries because that's what ford did
1: you love this ford ford model t don't you (laughs)
0: I actually saw one at Brighton Marina a few months ago. It was, it was. I was amazed because I'd never seen one in real life. Yeah, and just, yeah, just to see it there. Although it did look as though it needed a bit of um, a bit of TLC because it was very rusty. But it was amazing to see.
1: <laughs> okay, right now, just before we leave Brighton, considering I normally come up with the fun fact or the interesting piece of information, tell us a fun fact about Brighton. Uh,
0: well, I've already told you my fun fact about Brighton in the fact that more people use buses in it's Brighton. A fun fact.
1: <laughs> That's a transport fact. I want to know a fun fact about Brighton.
0: <laughs> a fun fact about Brighton. Um, oh God. <laughs> um, there's there's a bar um, called um, Fitzwilliams in the centre that's named after George III's mistress. I think oh, no. it was George III's mistress.
1: Okay. Well, that is an acceptable fun fact <laughs> now we know now we know a head for after this right so from the blind veterans uk thanks for listening to us and see you next time johanna
0: <laughs> see you next time liam